We're going to be looking this morning at a message uh, continuing on in our series, Moses, the Man of God, and a message I call God's Now. Let's stand together then as we reverence the reading of God's Word, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23. Now, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God acknowledged them. Um, I skipped a part. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. Now... Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Moses was the first man in Scripture to be called by the title, the man of God. We've been looking at his story. When last we saw him, Moses was 40 years old. And in this ancient, Holy Spirit-inspired autobiography, Moses gave us another passage with a now. Now, verse 11, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And we looked at this passage, and we saw how that Moses made an incredible decision of faith when he was 40 years old. How that he chose to uh, spend his life then with his brethren, the Hebrews, who were in bondage. He was out to deliver them. He ended up killing an Egyptian because he was mistreating one of the Hebrews. And he did so because he supposed, as Stephen told us many, many years later, he supposed his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. So Moses knew that God intended for him to be the deliverer. He expected his people then to accept him. But before another day would pass, Moses would be rejected by his brethren and under a sentence of death from Pharaoh. So Moses had a now, a a time when he thought the time was right. Moses now. And it lasted two days. He got to be a deliverer for two days. And after two days, he was hated by the Egyptians and the Hebrews both. It was Moses now, but it wasn't God's now. But in our text, we begin with another now. And all of a sudden, God is on the scene everywhere. God, verse 24, heard their groaning. Uh, They had been groaning for who knows how many years. But now here's this specific statement. God heard. God was hearing them. The second part of verse 24 says God remembered. God remembered the covenant that he had made. God looked upon them. Verse 25. And then the latter part, of course, God acknowledged them. Every one of those statements has great significance. Uh, It did not mean when God heard them now that God had not heard them before. 
It did not mean when God remembered them now that he hadn't remembered them before, that God had looked upon their situation and knew what was happening or that he hadn't before. None of those things are implied. It's just simply drawing attention to the fact that now God was at work. It was God's now. And Moses then gives us these four verbs to talk about what God was doing in his now. Forty years had gone by. Forty years. It would be difficult if you were a slave in Egypt. It would be difficult if you were a shepherd in Midian. To look at any of those 40 years and see that God had done anything. Forty years passed in silence. Forty years passed with no explanations. Forty years passed with no answers. This is a story we all know well. It shows up over and over again in Scripture. It plays out again and again in the champions that God sets before us. Abraham had to wait for years, decades before Isaac was born. Abraham had a now. (laughs) A time when he thought the time was right. He even had a plan. But it wasn't God's time it wasn't God's now we could talk about Jacob and Joseph David anointed as king and yet though he was the anointed king of Israel he was not sitting on the throne and the man who was sitting on the throne was hunting him think about Daniel and not to leave out the ladies we could talk about Sarah and Hannah and yes even Esther Many of the stories in Scripture you see of people who were left to wait with no answers, no explanations. They were just left to wait. Sometimes they even suffered while they waited. So in this interval of time then, do we see Moses getting discouraged? Do we see him talking about how defeated he is? Uh, What all happened? Uh, Did he feel like a failure? If he did, the Bible doesn't record it. And if anybody could have recorded it, it would have been Moses. But he didn't tell us. By the way, it didn't tell us how Joseph felt while he languished in Egypt and was a slave. It didn't tell us how David felt. It didn't tell us how Daniel felt. It didn't tell us how the three Hebrew young men that we know best as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt. It doesn't tell us any of those things. What it does tell us is that they all had a promise from God. And I can't help but love those three Hebrew young men who said, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us from from your hand, O king. But if not, (laughs) they said, we still won't bow down to your image or serve you. We're not going to do that. We can't. God forbid it of us. They had promises and they held on to those promises. They didn't have explanations. They didn't have answers to the whys. What they did have was promises. Perhaps we can see a little bit more then about how this passage plays out in Hebrews 11 and 13, which says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims upon the earth. 
And of all the things that this passage tells us that God did, and those four things, the one probably that stands out the most was that God remembered. You see, as, as years pass by, it's difficult for us to maybe avoid that feeling like maybe God has forgotten about us. Or that maybe God is just through with us. Or even worse, maybe that God doesn't care. And against all of those feelings that might come up in our mind and heart, we have this incredible passage, God remembered. God remembered his promises. The promises that he had made to Abraham, the promises that he had made to Isaac, the promises that he had made to Jacob and to Joseph and to all of those descendants, the promise that he made when he told them that he was sending them down to Egypt but he would bring them back. God remembered his promises. Aren't you glad this morning? God always remembers. And the other side of that is just as true. God never forgets. Frail human beings that we are, we unfortunately do forget. Sometimes we make promises and we forget them. We don't mean to. We don't intend to. But God never forgets. And he seldom explains the passage of time. (laughs) Seldom. The best I have for you today is uh, something that I see over and over in Scripture. And that is that with God, timing is much more important than time. Timing is everything. Jesus was born, the Bible says, when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. When the fullness of time was come. Timing is more important than time. And so between Moses' now and God's now, the time when Moses set out to deliver Israel, and the time now that God has come to deliver Israel, 40 years plays out with Moses dealing with an obvious question. What now? What now? I don't fit in in Egypt anymore. I turned my back on everything I was and everything that I had. I, I, I can't go back to that. That door is closed. The Hebrew people don't want me either. What now? What now? Many a relationships end with the what do I do now? What now? Many situations arise in life that end with, what now? Businesses sometimes end with, what do I do now? Jobs sometimes end with, what do I do now? And the death of loved ones almost always leaves us living out that same issue. What now? What do I do now? Well, when we look at the story of Moses, we see a marvelous example of some things to do between our now and God's now. Uh, the time when we're waiting on God's now, when we're having to live out the, and seek the answer to that question, what do I do now? What now? And the first thing that we see Moses doing in that what, what do I do now time was Moses kept doing what is right. Moses kept doing what is right. 
He had tried to deliver Israel. It wasn't the right time. It was Moses' time, but not God's time. Now God is here. Forty years has passed. What did he do? He kept doing what's right. Verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. So the Bible tells us after uh, this uh, failed incident in Moses' life and Pharaoh was out to kill him, he fled into the land of Midian. He goes there to a well and here's these seven girls come in with their father's sheep. Maybe some goats too. I don't know. Their father's flocks. And the girls then drew the water out and filled up the troughs to water them. And along came the shepherds and drove them away. Isn't that just like a bunch of nasty old men to let the women do all the work and then run them off? And now we're going to water our sheep. And so there's the women out there. But, you know, Moses saw that happen. And he knew it wasn't right. The same Moses who saw what was happening down in Egypt when he saw one of his brothers being mistreated. And the same Moses now sees somebody else being mistreated, strangers to him. And Moses put a stop to it. (laughs) Maybe his reputation had preceded him. Those shepherds decided Moses wasn't a man to be trifled with. I don't know how it was one Moses against all those shepherds, but the Bible says that Moses stood up. He stood up against what they were doing, and he helped those young ladies to water their flock. So they returned to their father much quicker than normal and They told him that they had met an Egyptian who had helped them. And and the dad said, well, go back and get him. Verse 21 then says, Moses was content to live with the man. And he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. No doubt a, a tribute to the fact that he wasn't at home in Egypt and he didn't have a home with the Hebrews either. I was a stranger in a foreign land, and yet here I found a home. That's what he's saying. And so he ended up in the house of Jethro, also uh, known as Reuel. Uh, just one of those times where we have those two names in Scripture. We know him best uh, by Jethro. So here Moses is in Midian, still standing up for what is right, still fighting against what's wrong, although he didn't kill anybody this time. He finds a place to live. He finds a wife. He has a son. He enters the family business as a shepherd. And he went to work every day for 40 years. See, we'd we'd probably just skip over this if we weren't real careful in the narrative, but uh, we need to understand God put it there for a reason. It figures very prominently in this narrative. Moses went and found a place to live. He found a family. He got a wife. He got a baby. He got a job. He went to work. Moses kept doing what was right. Let's just reflect for a moment on the things Moses didn't do. He didn't become a desperado. He didn't become an outlaw band. He didn't pull together a bunch of evil men and start raiding caravans. He didn't crawl into a bottle to become an alcoholic. He didn't spend the rest of his life doing nothing and lamenting the passage of his glory days, telling everybody all the time about how great he used to be. 
Moses didn't do that. He didn't turn bitter and abusive. He found a place to live. He got a job. He got married. He had kids. There's no indication in Scripture that he didn't do all of those things well. He kept standing up for what was right and doing what was right. And so in those times in your life and in my life when things don't work out for us, and we find ourselves then asking, well, what am I going to do now? What now? What now? We can remember what Moses did. Moses kept doing what was right. He kept doing what was right. And that is a great example for us to follow. One preacher put it this way, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You keep doing what you do know to do. And you wait on God, which is the second thing that we see in this passage. We find ourselves in a what now moment, then we keep doing what is right, and then we keep looking for God. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said I'll now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look God called to him from the midst of the bush and said Moses, Moses. And he said Here I am. When Moses saw a bush on fire that didn't burn up, he knew he was looking at something supernatural. Bushes don't last long in a fire. When we lived in Benton, we had about a quarter of a mile long driveway. Our house was uh, back off the road a little ways. And uh, it was grown up uh, beside us with those uh, terrible bushes uh, that are known as hedge Hedges, hedgerow. I don't know any other name for them. They've got an official name. I've never cared enough about them to bother to find out what it is. I, I, I know you can't seem to kill them. They're immune to Roundup, Diesel, and every, just about everything else in the world. All you can do is cut them back and burn the things. I'm going to tell you something. You can take that green bush, cut it down, and take it and throw it in a fire, and you know what's going to happen? Whoosh, that's right, green as it is, it's going to be burning just like that. Bushes don't last long in a fire. Moses knew that. So when he sees a bush, and I'm not telling you it was one of those kind of bushes, I'm not sure what kind of bush it was. But whatever kind of bush it was, it was burning, but it did not burn up, and Moses knew that was something supernatural. And so the Bible says, Moses said, I will turn aside and see why this thing is burning but it's not burning up but not only did Moses see something but the Lord saw something too verse 4 when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside I'll turn aside and see this great sight and the Lord saw that he turned aside to look now part of us is always going to want to ask the question well what would have happened if Moses would have just gone on But if he would have looked at that burning bush and said, look at that. That bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. What do you think about that? Oh, who cares? It's lunchtime, man. I'm I'm going to KFC. I uh, don't have time. to. Part of us wants to speculate about that, but the fact is that it's just not in the storyline. Moses saw it. 
He knew it was something supernatural. He decided to investigate it. When God saw that he turned aside, then God spoke and said, Moses, Moses. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro that day the same way that he had been keeping them for the previous 40 years. Yes, he was at Mount Horeb. Yes, he introduces that. Now Moses was uh, at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. That's what he called it. But there's no indication that it was called that before this happened. Now to see a corresponding passage, it was a time when Jacob uh, left home. And that night that he left home, the Bible says that he lay down with a stone for his pillow. He lay down on a stone and he dreamed a vision of God. And he saw a ladder moving up and down and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. He, he saw that ladder. He understood then that there was a living link. But he called the name of that place then Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. And it was called Bethel from then on. But it wasn't called Bethel before that. It was, it was called Bethel. Because that's where Jacob had an encounter with the Lord. Moses had an encounter with the Lord on Mount Horeb. And that's why it came to be known as the Mount of God. The presence and work of God, you see, can turn any ordinary place into God's place. So that Moses was just doing his job, going to work. No telling how many times he had been to that place before with his father-in-law's flocks. But this time something was different because God was there. Most of you this will have a place to go tomorrow. Many of you are retired, yet you have plans, whatever they are. Many of you students, of course, you all will be going to school. You hope tomorrow to... All of you who are still employed, you'll be going to work somewhere tomorrow. You have plans of what you're going to do. Let's never fail as we go about our business to be aware that God may turn an ordinary day into an extraordinary day with no warning, <laughs> no explanation. All of a sudden... God is at work. Moses was ready for that. He, he saw and God saw that he saw. And he turned aside to see it. Moses then kept doing what was right while he was asking what now. Moses kept looking for God in the what now time of his life. And the last thing we see is that Moses then kept his reverence for God in the what now time of life. Verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. You do understand, of course, that it was holy because God was there. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses was first attentive to God. 
He turned aside to look. He was looking. He was watching. And when God came on the scene, he was attentive to that. He was able to see that indeed God was at work. And one of the things that I've prayed over this week as I've looked at this passage and thought about this message, I've prayed it in my own life, and I've prayed it for our church, that we all might go through life looking for the Lord a little bit more and being attentive to Him a little bit more and understanding that, yes, I may just be going to Sonic, or yes, I may just be going uh, to the store, or I might just be going to Walmart, or I might just be going to school, but this might be a day where I would encounter the living God who decides to do something at this moment in time and who's at work at this place, at this time, who has something maybe for me to do, something for you to do. How terrible it would be to go through that, uh, be around that and miss it. There are times in our life where God does special things. And when he does, we need to be attentive to it. And we need to be obedient to what it is that he gets across to us in those times. One of those places for me is a place called Bog Springs Camp. Um, I surrendered to preach there when I was 14 years old. I met Nancy there. She had another boyfriend at the time. Things have a way of working out. I responded to God's call to go and plant a church there. Many, many special encounters with God that I've had there at Bog Springs. I've had some wonderful times with the Lord right here. Places like seminaries, although they're not known particularly for it, but does happen. Bible conferences have brought many special times with the Lord. We call them mountaintop experiences, at least partly because of this passage. But it happens over and over again, those times when God does something extraordinary. I couldn't help but think this morning as I was looking at this passage and thinking about it again about how difficult it is to find a quiet place anymore. I mean, Moses was in the backside of nowhere. Imagine what it would be like, uh, you know, to see sundown come and look around you and the only lights you could see were the lights in the heavens. You couldn't see another fire, another lamp, not a, anything burning anywhere in any direction as far as you could look. And, uh, and then be up on a mountain and all you could see is uh, Moses was in the middle of nowhere. Mount Horeb. No distractions. It does us no good, by the way, to get away if we take our phones and our social media with us. But then I had to think also that for Moses, the place where he had an encounter with God was also where his work was. Moses was at work. He was keeping the flocks. He was doing what shepherds do. They had to follow the grass and the water. And he was there because there was grass there. There was water there. He was taking care of the flock. 
It's what he had done for all of those days before. It's what he anticipated doing all those many days after. But there was Moses at work having an encounter with God. But he saw and he heard and he obeyed. After a lifetime in God's service, folk, I've learned that those mountaintop experiences don't come around every day. They don't come around every week. They don't come around every year. (laughs) They don't even come around every decade. Oh, I wish they did. Moses didn't start dancing. I thought about that too. Some years ago, it was popular, a very popular song that asked the question, Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? I think Moses could answer that question. Will I dance for you, Jesus? Uh, Moses said, Yeah, we'll do that fall on our face part. That's what Moses did. So when God visits you through the work of the Holy Spirit and that mountaintop experience happens, And it might be in church and it might be at camp. It might be alone in your own house as you're reading scripture or praying. But all of a sudden, there is the Lord. No, you're not going to see a burning bush like Moses did. After all, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of every one of us. All he has to do is just remind us that he's home. And as I like to call it, light us up. And when that happens, what are we going to do? God always has an assignment. He had an assignment for Moses. God doesn't just show up to give us a hallelujah. No, he had an assignment. And so as we spend the time then looking at this side of the question, now now what? Uh, what do we do now? We're going to move on next week to look at the assignment that God gave him. The responsibilities that he would take. But for this morning, let's just ask ourselves a question. Have they been true to our mountain? I don't want to take for granted I can't speak for anybody but myself. I would like to think that every blood-bought, born-again child of God has had some kind of mountaintop experience with the Lord. If you hadn't had one of those as a believer, I'm not going to tell you you're lost. I'm just going to tell you I'm going to pray for you. And, and I hope that you'll seek the Lord. That if it takes getting quiet and getting away for a while, then get away. If it takes whatever it takes, seek the Lord. And if you, though, have had that time where God the Holy Spirit just came alive in your heart. And you knew then that there was something that he wanted you to do. Have you been true to that mountain? We're going to see next week Moses had a lot of reason for doubt. And you know what? We have a lot of reasons to doubt our mountains too. But we need to always go back to that special moment when we were closest to God. And knowing at that time when God was moving in us, it was true, and it was right, and it was real. Forty years he had waited. Forty years. Thank God he didn't miss it.
Thank God he didn't miss it. Let's stand together, please.